if you've got your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1. We're in this study of this great little book, the book of Philippians. And on Easter Sunday, we dealt with what may be one of the greatest texts in the entire Bible. It's Paul's purpose statement. It's found in verse 21. It is for, to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Now, when you start picking it up, as we are going to in verse 22, he is going to develop this thought and this idea and talk a little bit about the conflict that this really creates in our heart. When you and I really, truly get to understand what it means for me to live as Christ since to die is gain, it creates this conflict about being here or wanting to head home. So let's pick it up. We'll actually start with verse 21. For to me... To live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. For I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, and that you are standing firm. In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too, from God. So here's the conflict. On the one hand, when you and I come to that point in our life where we say, where we believe, where we live, for me to live is Christ. It means that we get that opportunity to bear fruit for Christ. He says there in verse 23, or excuse me, verse 22, I know this will mean fruitful labor for me. Now, when the Bible speaks about us as believers producing or bringing forth fruit, it has a couple things in mind. Sometimes it has this idea of fruitfulness is that you and I are becoming more like Christ, correct? So Christ is being formed in us. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. And so the fruit of being more like Jesus begins to be produced in our life. That's, that's one way the Bible speaks about fruit. Another piece is, is that we're growing in our knowledge of God. We're growing and maturing in our, in our faith. And so we're beginning to learn about how God works and that he's faithful and he's trusted, trustworthy. And so we're able to trust him and our faith grows. And that's another fruit that comes in our life. A third fruit is that which God does as he produces faith in others. So as you and I live Jesus, we share Jesus, people come to faith in Christ. That's fruit. The people who come to faith in Christ that are around us, we get to speak into their lives. We get to help disciple them. That's also fruit. In fact, I kind of got a sense that's really what maybe Paul has in mind here. Because when you look in verse 24, he says, yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake convinced of this, and I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress 
and joy in the faith. So all of this kind of speaks to this idea that, that we get to produce fruit. Now, here's the really cool idea. He talks about, I know if I'm to remain for me to live as Christ, it, it will produce fruit. And what a great reminder that as believers, we're not to get focused on producing fruit. That's not our aim. Our aim is for me to live as Christ. And when we get that right, fruit will be produced. You and I will become more like Christ. He will use us in other people's lives. He will grow us in our faith. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 15 in that great passage about the vine and the branches. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So as you and I get to this point in our life, for, for me to live as Christ, we will produce fruit. It'll come. And the great thing about fruit is that it is a reward. It is a reward in this life, and it's also a reward in, in, in the next life. You think about it. When we get to this point of producing fruit, we're becoming more like Christ. What's happening in our life? Well, you know, sin, sin destroys, right? Sin always messes stuff up. Sin is the thing that creates such pain and discomfort in our life. Well, if we're becoming more like Christ, we're, we're moving farther away from sin. In fact, what is he producing? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, let me ask you, does that not sound like a good life? I mean, really? Isn't that what our culture is searching for in all the wrong places? It's, it's looking for love. It's looking for peace. It's looking for... But you and I, when we produce fruit, because for me to live is Christ, part of that fruit is I'm becoming more like Christ. This is what's being produced in my life. And so there's a reward to fruitfulness here in this life. There's also a reward for fruitfulness in the next. Remember when Paul talks to the Thessalonians who he led to the Lord. He says, you know, what's my hope, my joy, my crown of rejoicing? Isn't it even you at the coming of Jesus? On that day, that fruit which God has produced through us because we live for him, there's going to be a reward for it. Do you remember the story Jesus told, Matthew 25? A man was leaving, and he brought his servants in, and he gave them talents, right? Or, or, and basically, it was money to invest. And this is what happens. He says, the one who had received five talents came up and brought five more. Saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. His master says to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You and I have been given the privilege to live for Christ. As we live for Christ and he produces fruit for us on that day, it'll be rewarded. So this is the thing. He says, listen, I'm in the strait betwixt two to remain. Remain means fruitfulness. And fruitfulness brings a reward today. It makes today better. It makes tomorrow better. Now, there is one small little piece. I hope you picked it up. He talked about this as being fruitful labor. Oh. 
Yeah, hard work. Yeah, uh, it takes tilling the ground. It takes watering. It takes pruning. It, it takes a, a lot of work. You know, and this is what sometimes I, I find that as Christians and, and even un- non-believers get all confused. Because on the one hand, salvation comes without any labor, right? Jesus paid it all, right? Nothing left for us to do. It is by grace that you were saved. The gift of God is eternal life. So salvation, knowing Jesus, having eternal life, comes with absolutely no labor. In fact, so much so, if you're laboring to get it, you don't have it. And you're never going to get it. Because Jesus said, he who believes in me. So there is no labor except that we put our faith in Jesus. It is all done by the work of God to know Jesus. All right? That's the grace of salvation. Ah. But now to everybody who knows Jesus, what does he say? He says to you and I who know him, come follow me. Come be my disciple." Oh, by the way, what does that mean? Well, you need to deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow me. Wait a minute. Whoa! That's not free. That costs something. Right. And, and so what, what happens is people to get, you know, salvation think it costs something. And then people who, who, who now know oh, I've been saved and it's by grace alone, they don't understand. But now Jesus wants to call you into something deeper. And that deeper is, is that your life becomes for me to live as Christ. And there is a cost to that. For Paul, it meant being in a prison. For Paul, it meant he couldn't travel where he wanted to go. For Paul, it meant being slandered. And yet what we are called to is this idea of labor, hard work, investing our lives. In fact, that's really what it is. Laboring for Jesus is investing ourselves and cultivating Jesus in others. is living Jesus and sharing Jesus. It is for me to live as Christ. And it's hard work. And it's not always accepted. And it's sometimes the people that we invest in the most who turn around and kick us in the teeth the hardest. It hurts. It's hard work. But that's what it means. So, on the one hand, you have fruitful labor. On the other hand, you get this idea of, I get to go be with Jesus, all right? That's verse, what, 23. But I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is... For that is very much better. Folk, the beauty of this is this. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Die really is gain. Because when we get there, death brings us face to face with Jesus. You know, we talked about on Easter Sunday, all the, this idea of death is gain. That we get a new body. That we get perfect relationships. We get to live in a land where there's no more sin. There's no more cheating. There's no more sickness and disease and all that type. But the best thing is we get to go see Jesus. Man, the one that created us. The one who who made us, and we get to see him face to face. Now, I came to know Jesus. I accepted that free gift of salvation over 50 years ago. And in those years since, I've talked to him a lot. I've I've read his word a lot. I've told other people. I've been blessed to even be able to travel around the world to help 
others about him. But never in this time have I seen him face to face. To be able to look into his eyes. To see the scars. His face and his hands and his side. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You remember when Jesus was risen from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And when they told Thomas, he goes, I won't believe unless I can put my finger in the side and in his, you know, in his hands, I'm not going to believe. So a week later, Thomas is there. Jesus shows up. He says, come here, Thomas. Come put your finger in my hand inside. And Thomas falls down. He says, my Lord and my God. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Ah, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who do not see, yet still believe. Do you know you're blessed? We're blessed. We haven't seen them face to face. And yet we're walking in faith. But that day, it'll no longer be by faith. We get to see him face to face. And what an incredible day that is going to be. And here's the beautiful piece of it. When we do that, when we see him, the journey, the labor piece of this. Remember, we just talked about it's a fruitful labor, but it's over. The, The time of our departure has come. What's really interesting in that word there that he uses, the desire to depart it's it's a it's a greek word william barclay who uh wrote a lot about the greek language said it had a number of different connotations but a couple were interesting to me one is this it was like an it was used of an animal who had been tied into a yoke so it would a yoke was something that would tie two animals or multiple animals into a harness so that they would pull the plow, they would pull the, the, the mill or something along those lines. So they've been working all day, and this word to depart was used of untying them from that, and now they get to rest. Now they get to eat. Now they get to, you know, their, their hard work for the day is over. It was also used of a ship that was getting ready to set sail. Everything had been put on, and, and now as they untie the ropes, they're said to be ready to depart. Man, you think about that, this idea that when we get home, and the labor piece is over. The hard work is done. Back when I grew up, there was a number of songs that were popular at the time that talked about us getting ready for heaven and the idea that we're down here in the boot camp for Jesus, you know, getting ready. Folks, this is not the boot camp. This is the war. This is the battle. This is the time. This is the moment we get to live and labor for Jesus. When we get home, man, there's rest. It is good. It is a positive thing. And that's what he's saying. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, having a desire to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. The battle is over. And so selfishly, for a believer, this is where the conflict comes. I'm here, yeah, there, there's fruit, but there's also, you know, that implies a lot of hard work, difficult stuff. But one of these days, I'm going to get to go see Jesus. And, and honestly, that's, that's way better. And that's the tension that we live in. It's in living in the here and now, and yet looking forward to the not yet. 
living in this land, this fallen world, but with an eye to a perfect world. And we know that one of these days we're going to be there. Living here in, in this world and trying to, to, to be good and, and be a good citizen of it. But the truth is, is that we're truly citizens of heaven. That's the tension. And that's where the difficulty comes. And I, and I got to be honest with you. What I'm finding is that the more um, mature, that's the word I like to use. You could use old. But the more mature I get the more I find this tension in my life. You know, when I was young, I was a teenager, loved Jesus, wanted to live this way for me to live as Christ, and, and I thought, man, taking off life that way was great, you know, because I used to have energy, right? And uh, I had all these things. I've been at weddings this, this weekend. It's kind of been the wedding weekend. It had been beautiful. They're great. And I have to remember as a young man, you know, I knew Jesus was coming back. I knew that was going to be a great day and to die is game, but quite honestly, I wanted to get married. Probably do a honeymoon was the main thing, but uh, you know, I, that's where, you know, you look, you had energy as a young person you see and you you know life looks really good but to be honest with you and some of you understand this you walk with Jesus enough you've been in this world and, and you get more mature and all of a sudden you realize there's really not a lot in this world that gets real exciting anymore that it's a lot more fallen than we really realized back then that this land really is a land of tears and then eventually, I, I meet people all the time. They, they get more friends and loved ones over there than they got left back over here. And, and it's kind of like I can remember when I was, uh, I was in elementary school. I went to camp, Camp Willoughby, up uh, off of, uh, in Wisconsin. And they had horses. And I love riding the horses, and you get in the corral, and man, you start out on the, on the path, and all the horses together, man, and you had to kick, and you had to prod, and you had because those horses didn't really want to go. But you go out, and about 40 minutes later, you'd be coming back around, and I tell you, you know, and they're just, you're kicking and prodding, but man, you hit the pasture that had the barn at the end. Those horses saw the barn, and now, man, you're on the, you're on the reins. I remember one day a man, my horse and our horse took off. I go, well, I couldn't slow it down. Why? Because I wanted to get home. You know why? Because he get home, he's getting me off his back. And he's getting food. And life was going to be good. And folks, that's the tension that we live in. When for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. On the one hand, we know God's got us here. He's got us here for a purpose. God is here for a reason, but man, it's hard. But we know that to die is gain. It is going to be good. Well, the whole heart of this passage is that there's a resolve to all of this. And it's just simply this. Live for Jesus, both in your life and in your death, and trust him with both of those things. I mean, that's the heart. In fact, if you go back to verse 20, this is kind of where he starts talking about it. He says, my, my prayer is, my expectation is that Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I mean, but if I live, I know it means fruitful labor, verse 23, but I know if I die, I go get to be with Christ. And his whole point is just simply this. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. And guess what? When it comes to die, die for Jesus. 
And don't worry about that. In fact, Paul's whole point here, it wasn't Paul's decision. I mean, earthly speaking, it wasn't Paul's decision whether he lived or died. It was going to be Nero's. Now, we know spiritually that God's sovereign, so it really isn't Nero's decision. It's God's decision. But the whole point is, is he's talking about this. This is not up to me. It's up to the Lord. And so as long as I'm here, I'm going to live for Jesus. And when he takes me home, that's going to be good. And that's where I'm going to go. I love how he puts it in Romans 14. But if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying here? That's how it's resolved. So wherever I'm at, whether I'm here, home, here in this earth, or I'm absent and present with the Lord, it doesn't matter. My heart's desire is to live Jesus. I love the very next verse. He says, for this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Follow Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now what's interesting is he throws this caveat in at the end. This whole idea of, okay, leave it to the Lord, just live for Jesus, but until then... We are to live here as citizens of heaven. It's a very interesting verse. It's verse 27. He says, only conduct yourselves. Conduct yourself. It's a Greek term. It it conveys the idea of live as a citizen of your home country. Now, again, for us, it's kind of lost. But to the Philippians, it would have made sense. So, most of the residents in Philippi were Roman citizens. We talked about this at the very beginning. Philippi is not in Italy, it's in Macedonia. But it was set up as a Roman colony primarily for a lot of the retired Roman soldiers to go live. They were Roman citizens. Like you live in Rome, this is Philippi. But you're not there. And his whole point is, is we live in this world, but this isn't where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so you live here in Philippi as a Roman citizen with all the rights and all the, all the privileges. Well, you live here as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven. That's how you live for Jesus. That's what it means for me to live as Christ, that I'm living here as he would want me to there. Only conduct yourself. Now, it's interesting that, again, don't want to bore you with Greek stuff. But the word is in the present tense. It's continual. Today, live for Jesus. Tomorrow, live for Jesus. Secondly, it's in the kind of second voice. So conduct yourselves. This is all of us. This isn't just the elders. This isn't just Paul. This This is to all of us. And third, it's imperative. It's a command. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now you think about that for a moment. Does that not, boy, does that not get a little scary? We're commanded to live worthy of the gospel? I mean, the gospel is the story of the perfection of Jesus, right? Isn't it that Jesus came as the perfect son of God and died for, how do I live worthy of that? 
Isn't the gospel message the story of God's perfect love and that while we were still sinners, he died for us? Isn't the gospel message a message of, of truth where there is absolutely no hypocrisy? How on God's green earth am I supposed to live worthy of that? Because I'm not perfect. I, I, I don't, I'd love to say there is absolutely no hypocrisy in my life. I'm not there yet. God's still working on me. So how is it that you and I, who, have, who are in this life, we're citizens of heaven, but we've committed ourselves for me to live as Christ, how do we live worthy of the gospel? It's interesting. It gives us four little key words here. Let me just finish. The first one is this. Be steadfast. He says this. I will hear of you that you are standing firm. Standing firm. This idea of being steadfast. You know, if the gospel is one thing, it is about God's faithfulness to us, right? While we were sinners, he came and died for us. When we rebelled, he continued to reach out to us. And as a believer, one of the ways that you and I live worthy of the gospel is that we live steadfast. We're committed. We're not hot and cold. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't this one of the things that is hard for us? You know, that our spiritual life can kind of move with the ebbs and flows of life. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, for me to live is Christ. Be steadfast in that. Because that points people to the truth of the gospel. I love 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The second word that I'm going to give you is the word unified. He actually talks about together here. He says, firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. The idea here is how do we live worthy of the gospel? We live it in godly community, a loving community that's different than this world. This world is... Have any of you been on Twitter recently? Or is it just me? I'm about ready to give it up. It's, it's just, it is my one little piece. You know, our nation, there is so much anger and hatred and divisiveness and about what, who knows. It's just everywhere. But it is our culture. And you want to talk about what speaks, what speaks to the power of the gospel? What is it in our lives that more than anything else would promote the gospel? It's the fact that you and I can come in here, quite honestly, lots of different political persuasions, lots of different ethnic backgrounds, lots of different family cultures. But we can come together and we can love each other. We can work together for the furtherance of the gospel. We can lock arms. We can worship Jesus together. That's what speaks to the power of the gospel. Jesus says this, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Kind of wonder, maybe if this is not one of those places where the church in America has failed to live worthy of the gospel. We fight, we don't get along, we split, we are our own little separate entities. Churches get, get, you know, people travel from one to another because this, that, and the other. Folk, to live worthy of the gospel, for me to live as Christ, 
means we have to live in unity and love. The third thing that he talks about then is working together for the gospel, striving together for the faith of the gospel, working hard, understanding that this is, this is what we give our life for. It's to live Jesus and to share Jesus that we give the best of our time, the best of our effort. I mean, obviously, we, we got to work, and obviously, we got to take care of family, and obviously, we got these things that we have to do. But in the midst of it all, we're living for Jesus, and we're investing in others, and we're giving of our time, and we're giving of our energy, and we're, tr- we're investing into that fruitful laborer that we're called to. And the last one, just mentioned, in verse 28, we'll cover it when we get back into the passage here uh, in another week or so. But it's verse 28, and that is to do it without fear. In no way alarmed by your opponents. Folk, if the gospel speaks to one thing, it speaks to the fact that God is in control, right? Yeah, you know what? They're killing the Son of God. Guess what? God's still in control. God had a plan. And so as we go and we live, we do it without fear. And so when, when we have to go to the doctors about that pain and we're hoping the pain isn't anything, we, we don't do it with fear because we know God is in control. And when we got that situation coming up at work and we don't know how it's going to go, we do it without fear because we know God is in control. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That's how you live worthy of the gospel. It's not in perfection. It's not having it just so that, that, that somehow we never make a mistake. But it's that we're steadfast. And when we fall down, we get back up. And when today I look back and I realize for me to live as Christ wasn't today, tomorrow is I'm going to do that. It's steadfast. It's working together and loving one another. And when there's a wrong, we go make it right. And when, there, when there's a hurt, we go and we, we seek forgiveness. And we do it together. We work hard at living and sharing Jesus and we do it all without fear. That's how you live worthy of the gospel. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a, it's a bit of a conundrum. How we live it is, every day, Jesus, you give me breath here, I'm going to live for you. And every day, I'm going to look forward to that day that I stand before you.